Welcome to the Rise Up Network. I'm your host, James Carmody. Thank you so much for downloading our podcast, following us. You're checking us out online at sdriseup.com, as well as Facebook, Instagram, social media, all those channels. And Rise Up Network, our mission is to empower servant leaders. And we're doing that by sharing stories week in, week out of those folks that are making a difference. And it could be military officer that you know. It could be your kid's little league coach or teacher. It could be a pastor of your church or that small business owner. The Rise Up Network is about sharing the good news, empowering servant leaders, and also showing that our younger generation can do this too. I have two, actually three, great servant leaders in studio with me today. And our first two guests are former naval Gentlemen, we have uh, retired Admiral, retired Vice Admiral Tim LaFleur. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks. Great to be here. Absolutely. And a longtime friend of the Rise Up Network and a personal friend of mine, Tom Garcia. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, but I do have to correct you. I'm Army. You're Army? Yes. Oh, my gosh. But that's I should okay. be shunned. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. All the, you were uh, giving him a promotion. Yes. Ah! <laughs> here we it, go. Here we go. And so it begins. Yes. You know? we, just, we just need a Marine in here. You know, Coasty, you guys can all have at it. But welcome. You guys, you know, we're, we're here and we're talking about commissioning a ship and we're talking about commissioning the USS Michael Montsor. And for our, you know, our audience, I, I first want to talk a little bit about background, just so our audience can understand your backgrounds. You know, Tom, you've been on the show, but, you know, we have some new, new listeners and some new guests that are following us. Share a little bit about your background and how you even got here to be commissioning a ship. Yeah, that's, that's really, uh, uh, for me, uh, a journey. I'm born and raised in Bakersfield, California. There's nothing, no water around it, you know. So finally moved down here to San Diego, uh, got involved with the board of the USO. Yep. Um, you can't be in San Diego without noticing there's a lot of military here and understanding. It's like one that. in three San Diegans. No, I, I know. And uh, really come to appreciate who they are, what they do, yeah. and uh, work to have the uh, community support what they do, too. That's kind of what I've been doing. And uh, so um, I think it was luck or God's grace that I got to be involved in the commissioning of a ship mm. because uh, it, it's really an honor to be able to uh, do that. A lot of ships, um, the two ships I've worked on, the Peralta before this and now the Mansour, are named after really special people. I mean, uh, and I'm glad that ships are being named after war fighters, especially a war ship. I think it's yeah. very appropriate. So. I'm here. Uh, I think Admiral LaFleur is part of the reason I'm here, too, where I wouldn't, I could have done it on my own. So uh, anyway, that's what I'm doing, and I'm just honored to be a part of this whole committee that's doing this. Well, thanks for what you do, and welcome back. Thank Good you. to have you with us. Good to be here. And uh, retired Vice Admiral Tim, share with us a little bit about your background. You know, where did you grow up, and what actually had you choose the Navy? Well, I uh, am a Midwest kid, grew up in Chicago, okay. uh, west side of Chicago, and uh, my dad died when I was very young, so if I was going to go to college, I had to find a way to get there free. Right. And uh, I, I was, at the time, a pretty good wrestler, so I got recruited to the Academy for Wrestling, and then I found out it was free, and all sounded pretty good. It all good. worked. Uh, I never saw the ocean until after my first year at the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and I joined the fleet, came out here for my uh, uh, first assignment. I'd never been west of the Mississippi, so I wanted to see the great west coast, and fell in love with it and said, well, I'll stay one more tour and then one more tour. And next thing you know, I was 35 years in the Navy and I, I fell in love with sailors. I, I fell mm. in love with the young people who 
want to be something greater than themselves, to give service yeah. to their country, to give service to their community. And, and that's why it's really great to be part of these commission ceremonies because it's a celebration of those sailors and the work they've done to bring this ship to life. And uh, when you attend a ceremony, it is so cool to see them all running aboard when uh, the sponsor, in this case, uh, Michael's mother, uh, tells them to bring the ship to life. It's, it's pretty cool. Sounds very, very special. Let's, let's back up a second, though, and you know, share with our audience, what is the commissioning of a ship? You know, what does it actually mean? So, you know, the bill, go back a little bit. I mean, yeah. the, the Michael Mansour has been uh, under construction for about four years, and it's a, it's a massive ship. There's only going to be three of them built. They're going to be uh, kind of one-of-a-kind uh, vessels. They're built to provide, for the most part, gunfire support to our Marines and Army friends who are close to the beach. Yep. But they also have an ability to reach out and touch others with missiles, and to do uh, support for large strike groups, which are aircraft carriers and all the ships and supply ships that go with that. And the, uh, the you first christen the ship, where the, a lot of people have, have seen the picture of a bottle breaking over the bow. Right, bottle of champagne or something. That's the naming of that ship. Yeah. And then the commissioning means it's the actual official government ceremony where that ship joins the fleet. It is, uh, and so the ship will is being built in Maine, and it will sail around from yep. there in a couple of weeks, and arrive here in December, and then spend a couple of weeks getting ready in the commissioning ceremony, in uh, which will be a pretty big one. Will uh, occur the 26th of January, 2019. Got it. Okay, so the 26th January, 2019 is when it's going to happen. Um, Give us some more history, though, on, you know, on the commissioning, on the naming of ships. You know, we've been doing that a long time, you know, but for some of our audience and in our, in our civilians, why is that important? A lot of it is tradition. I mean, a, a lot of uh, people accuse the Navy of being 200 years of history <laughs> unmarked by any <laughs> progress. But um, we, we have, for a long time, had... Uh, certain ships named after certain things. Submarines for years were named after fish. And Admiral I did not know that. Yep. Okay. And Admiral Rickover decided that fish don't vote. So we <laughs> just started naming Fish aren't taxpayers. We started naming them after states and cities. Yep. And then um, destroyers and cruisers, for the most part, have been destroyers named after warriors. As, as Tom mentioned, it's important for people to be on a warship to have their namesake be somebody who was a warrior themselves. Yeah. And then cruisers are named after famous battles. So okay. the Battle of Antietam or the uh, Chancellorsville uh, were Civil War battles, but it carried on to modern warships today steaming around with those names. And then aircraft carriers have been a little bit of everything, but it's getting to be ex-president's club. <laughs> ex-president's club, it sounds like it. Ford, Bush, Bush, uh, on and on and on. And Clinton's had a ship named after him. Yep. Uh, various people. Uh, Clinton got a submarine, I think, not a sub. And Jimmy Carter had a submarine as well. So okay. it's uh, those are kind of. And then the LCS, which is uh, the littoral combat ship, which is a smaller, new variant of ship, 
is also named after cities, and the ideal, uh, I happen to be involved with the strategy here, was to name it after small cities, hmm. because the Navy, unlike our Army friends, we don't have bases in all 50 states. We right. tend to have bases where there's water. <laughs> and that kind Makes of sense. limits you to the California, Florida, Virginia, Connecticut kinds of places. So uh, we decided to get the Navy known Let's build 50 ships and put one, name one for every city. So Marinette, Wisconsin, a little town in Wisconsin, Independence, Missouri, um, Freedom, Illinois happens to be a city. So we've picked names of cities that marry up with the image that we want for our sailors to think that they're representing and serving their country. Thank you. Great history lesson there. Did you learn something, Tom? Uh, as an Army guy, I learned a whole lot. <laughs> and that's why we have this man as one of our leaders here. That's great. Absolutely. Let's, you know, let's talk about really, though, why we're here. Michael Monsoor. Tom, share, share with, our, with our audience the story of Michael. Who is Michael? Yeah, Michael's, uh, you know, when we walk around here, if they're not wearing your uniform, you may not know who is in the military and who isn't. Yeah. You know? And you may not know the family that serves, serves with that person. And, and the families and the children is an important part of that, that sailor, that Marine, that uh, soldier, you know, the Coastie, whatever, uh, as the, the person that's serving. So um, we have a lot of people giving a lot. We don't even know about it. And we need to have some recognition sometimes when they give the ultimate sacrifice. And that's exactly what Michael Monsoor did. You know, born and raised in, in California. He's from Long Beach originally. Long Beach in, guy. Garden Grove. His family still lives in Garden Grove where he was born, uh, where he was raised. Um, and then he came to Coronado for a lot of his buds training to be, become a Navy SEAL. I understand he was uh, quite the SEAL. He was, uh, you know, there's some people that are just leaders, you know, and, and we're glad that they're, they recognize where they can be a leader because uh, we do have followers too. And they need that, that leader up there to set an example. And uh, he set one hell of an example. Um, nobody knows how they're going to react when that moment comes. Yeah. You know, uh, you hope that you're going to do the right thing, run the right way. You know, uh, Michael didn't hesitate at all. Uh, a grenade was thrown up between him and two other. He, they were doing Overwatch as a sniper team, and he had two other Navy SEALs on either side of him, just kind of the way he was. A uh, grenade came up on top of the roof where he was, and uh, without hesitation, he knew that he had to cover that. Thing. He could have gotten. He could have gotten away. He could have saved himself, but he didn't. And so, uh, and the other Navy SEALs that are there testify to that that he could have escaped, but he chose to give up himself and save the other two Navy SEALs that were with him. And that that's a, an, a great example in a great uh, warrior to have the ship named after. I mean, I can't think of a better example of a hero. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, and and. Tim as retired vice admiral, you've heard many, many stories. Why does Michael Monsoor's story resonate with you? Well, in Michael is the, the wonderful story of the kid who comes out of high school, not sure what to do with his life, but he has this burning desire to serve. Yeah. And he, he comes from a good family where he was taught uh, and uh, parents who cared for him. And so he wanted to go be a SEAL because he wanted to give more than he thought he could give in any other way. And SEAL training is hard. We've all heard about the difficulties of going through that. Michael excelled at it, went out there, became a leader 
it wasn't his first time in country. He went back again. He could have left the Navy, but he chose to re-up, serve some more. And during that time, he was a leader, and he felt it his responsibility to save his shipmates. And he did that by giving his life. And th there's nothing greater than that in, in terms of service to your shipmates. Absolutely. And how long ago was this? And are you guys able to talk about where when this went down? And, it, and if you can't, that's fine, too. No, no. It was uh, September 29th, 2006. Okay. Is when it actually happened is yeah. when he lost his life. So it's been a while. He was in Iraq. Uh, I think it was in Ramadi. There was some terrible battles going. That's when I think there was probably some of the worst battles going on over there then. And they had been through, uh, their team had been uh, with the Iraqi army actually supporting them. And uh, they, had, they were doing these clearings every day. I mean, this wasn't... Uh, what it wasn't one day out of a month it was like right. every day you're over there risking your life not yeah. knowing what's going to happen to you or your your mates you know that are with you and so it was an ongoing thing he had received the silver star before and i think the um a bronze medal too for uh he and what's the silver star and the bronze medal for our audience so it, there are a hierarchy of uh, the medal of honor is the highest yeah. honor for valor that you can get in our country um the Silver Star is two down from that. There's actually one in between whose name is escaping me right now. I'll think of it in a second. And then uh, th there are other awards that are for non-Valor type thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Silver Star is just a cut below the Medal of Honor in terms of its extreme bravery in combat situations. And then, you know, to there are very few people who have Navy Cross is the one just above the Silver Star. There we go. And uh, and there's an Army Cross. Uh, Marines get the Navy Cross. And there are several Marines who have had two or three Navy Crosses. Incredible achievement. But Michael, if he'd have lived, I'm sure would have been a, a, a true hero and would have gone up to be a, a Master Chief and served for years. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, these guys, uh, when they're out there, nothing they do is for a medal or for, for e even for any recognition. Uh, I think like Admiral LaFleur said is they have service to their country. I mean, that's why they're there. We have a volunteer service, you know. Every yeah, 100 percent volunteer. 100 percent volunteer service. So you think um, everything they're doing uh, and the things, sacrifices their families are doing, too because they believe in something greater than themselves. They believe in the freedoms we have. And I think that's why Michael had no hesitation to do what he did at the time for his fellow uh, SEALs. A, a true patriot. Absolutely. True patriot. Absolutely. And, you know, we have, a, there's a lot of them walking around with us all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes when I meet people and finally hear their story of what they've done. Uh, what they've been doing, you know, and so we do have in San Diego because of all the military people here, a lot of people that uh, I, I'm, you know, just always blown away about the special people that make up our military here in San Diego and the families too. I love to tell a story of in Navy, and we used to have bring people out when I was in command. We would fly them out on a helicopter and spend a day on a ship, and we used to like to bring school counselors and school principals because. They could help guide kids that weren't ready for college, they didn't have the maturity yet, into something where they could get a skill and be ready to do the kind of things that uh, make them a better person. And it's truly amazing 
there are only about 40% of the high school graduates today that can qualify for the military, be either from academic or physical reasons. And so it's a, it's a big challenge to find the right kind of folks that are ready to do that. And, and we're always so proud of bringing those kids in and giving them the skill sets and making them be something special. I, one little side story, uh, we brought one school counselor in from Riverside County and she didn't really want to be there. Her principal had to come and he said, you've got to go, you've got to go see this. And so she came in, she was not happy to be there, flew her out, end of the day she came back and she insisted on seeing me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go through this pain. Right. What's this all about? And, uh, but as it turned out, a young gent that had been at her high school was on this ship. And he had been the class clown, a real troublemaker, bad grades, and here he is in this pressed uniform, and he's in charge of computers. And wow. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, let me show you where I work and what I do. And she said, I have become the biggest supporter of the Navy and of what you do in turning these people into really special people. And as I said before, this is a real celebration of these special people. There are 150 sailors that make up this ship. Yeah. And we're going to honor them on the 26th. It's actually a week-long right. series of things that happen. Sure. And, and a lot of it is about honoring the crew and making sure they have some special memories. What, do, you know, what does our audience need to know? And how can they participate? How can they support? How can they get involved? Yeah, that's, uh, the best way to do it is look at our, we have a website, monsoorcommissioning.org. And all the information they need to get free tickets to attend if a company or business wants to sponsor, we have different levels of sponsorship. Uh, this costs a lot of money and the Navy doesn't pay for all the stuff we do for the ship. So City of San Diego can step up and honor these men and women and their families by sponsoring the commissioning of the ship. Uh, we want the community as much as possible to be involved. So yes. uh, a lot of tickets available. Go to the website and you'll get all the information you, can, uh, you need on there to sponsor or to attend. It is great, and the more people we have, the more the crew feels honored by people showing up and giving a little bit of their Saturday to come out there and watch it. And I'll tell you, it's a ceremony that you'll never forget, watching the sailors come aboard and bring that ship to life and just seeing this very different ship and what it looks like and listening to its missions. And there'll be tours afterwards for people that want to come. There's a reception afterwards for people that want to come. But we hope that people will go to the website, monsoorcommissioning.org. And as Tom said, you can figure out uh, how to request tickets. You can donate. You can donate at different levels, whether you're an individual or uh, and, and if you donate, there's always something that's good for you, whether it's an honorary plank owner certificate or a ball cap or something special depending upon the level. But we're looking forward to having lots of people there. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yes. Tom, quick parting words. And we're looking forward to having both of you there. Well, thank you for that. Folks, you're going to want to check out monsoorcommissioning.org. We'll have that all that information on the Rise Up website, sdriseup.com. Tom Garcia, Tim LaFleur, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being servant leaders. And thank you for all that you do for our community. Thank you for having us here. And thanks thank for you. helping get the word out. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Honored. Thank you.
Welcome back. I am your host, James Carmody, and you are tuned into the Rise Up Network. And the Rise Up Network is sharing the good news and empowering servant leaders, those that are putting others first. And that may look like your small business owner, your military officer, your little league coach, the pastor of your church, someone that's actually out in the community that's making a difference. And that's what we're doing here with the Rise Up Network is we're bringing everyone together and we're sharing those stories. You're following us at sdriseup.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media, all those fun channels. Um, but we encourage you to share with us the stories in your life, what's, what's going on, who is that servant leader that's out there making a difference, and share these podcasts, share the video. We want to grow the network. You know, for us, we're going against the negative mainstream media, and we want to put good news, good stories out there. And we have a great servant leader in studio with us. We have the executive director of Biocom Institute in the life sciences industry. I'm super excited to welcome Lisa Rosanovich. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Lisa, I'm fascinated with the life sciences industry. I know enough to be dangerous, which is saying I know a little bit. And but Biocom is obviously a big institute. It's you know it's a pillar here in San Diego. Um, you have a very important role, but we didn't wake up and we're the executive director of this life sciences industry. You know, share with our audience and our and, and our viewers and listeners here a little bit about your background. You know, where you're from, where'd you go to school? Sure, I grew up in Michigan. Okay. I went to Michigan State University. I got a degree in accounting, so I got my CPA. I was a controller, operations director. Yeah. I did a little bit of HR for a medical device company for a while, so okay. had some experience in the industry myself. And then when I, my, when I first started working at Biocom, I had very much an internal role in operations um, and finance. Really? Okay. And then when, um, and then, so the Institute was created in 2008. And when the original um, founder, executive director of the Institute left in 2014, um, I was excited, threw my name in the hat and um, transitioned over into that role and really brought you know some of the experience that I had on the financial side and with the uh, on the HR side in terms of acquiring talent um, into the role that I'm in now. Fantastic! It sounds like your career's you know been quite a journey. Yeah, it's a little bit of a winding path. Yeah, that's great though. That's great. Share with you know share with our audience. You know, uh, I guess not everyone may be familiar with Biocom. You know, it's Biocom as um, as an organization. Then what is the Biocom Institute? Sure. So Biocom's a trade association. Um, Biocom has over 1,100 members throughout the state and, and some international as well. And those members are all working in the life science industry. So whether they're producing a medical device or working on some drug development for rare disease, they're contributing in some way to human health or uh, making the environment better. And the Institute, our main goal is workforce development. So we want to ensure that the industry has the strongest um, workforce in place today as well as in the future. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, it's 2018. Um, the workforce is changing and, and, and changing quickly. You know, what, what are you seeing that are important trends we need to be aware of? And what are, you know, what are, what are employers need to know? Well, it's funny that you ask. Yes. <laughs> um, so what we do is we leverage those member companies of mm -hmm. Biocoms, and, and the Institute is set, set up as a separate 501c3 entity, but 
we um, go out and survey those members and find out what are the most in-demand talent needs right mm. now. What's you know what's keeping these folks up at night? What are they having trouble? What positions are they having trouble filling? Yep. So we just released um, in June our 2018 Workforce Trends Survey, and um, that's a statewide report. We have um, the data that informs that report is nearly 10,000 job postings of the technical jobs in the industry for a 12-month period. We have um, an HR survey that we put out to HR representatives. We have 117 responses back, pretty detailed information on what their hiring plans are. And then we talk to the executives. So we have over 40 interviews with life science industry executives, and that really kind of helps shape the um, h- helps us understand some of the nuances of the report. And so five key trends um, yeah. that we're reporting on really. Um, first one is new technologies and rapid um, change are fueling emerging talent needs. So what does that mean? You know, in terms of AI, um, 3D printing of organs, um, whether there's data analytics part of that, there's just technology is changing all of the time, all the time. And keeping up with that and keeping up with the regulatory needs of the industry, we really need um, some multidisciplinary skill sets. Also, demand for soft skills. I mean, you hear that in every industry, how important the soft skills are and how we, you know, we really need to help our students understand that as they're going through their academic programs. Um, internships can assist with that, but really the ability to communicate, work in teams, those kinds of things are, are really important. So, I mean, in communication, verbal, written, leadership, exactly. teamwork, collaboration. Right, right. And so companies, a lot of companies will say, you know, we can train the science, we can train the technical, but if you don't come in with those soft skills, then it's really difficult for us. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple others really, one that came out this year um, were around diversity. So whether that's diversity in terms of gender, thought process, exper- life experiences, um, maybe it's where you went to school, one of our companies um, has a map on their board and the executive puts a pin in the map um, for every new hire. So um, they just have a sense of the fact that they've got diversity um, geographically amongst their employees. Um, Another one that was really um, critical in the Bay Area, but also important here in San Diego as well, is that life science industry is competing. It's converging a little bit with the tech industry and they're competing for talent. Mm. And so that's a challenge, you know, on the industry side. But there's a lot of rewards um, from these industry academic partnerships. And we help to foster those with the Biocom Institute to make sure that um, our our academic partners are aligned with industry needs. Yeah, and so, you know, share a little bit more about what that looks like. So who are some of the institutes that you partner with and what are the nature of those relationships? Yeah, so I'll um, give you a couple examples. We are working right now with Miramar College, and okay. there's a program where um, students that are already enrolled at Miramar, uh, low, moderate income students yep. that are interested in the sciences, we um, our role is to make sure that they um, have some work readiness um, experiences mm-hmm. aligned with the curriculum that they're already enrolled in and then we get them internships so we're actually placing them in some of our member companies so they can get that hands-on practical skill set another one we're working with uh, at the high school level we're working with a school in the north county 
to do some um, electronic skills badging and that's related specifically to the soft skills so students can go through a process where they produce evidence that they have a particular soft skill let's say communication okay. and they that evidence is verified by um, through a process that we've um, worked out with the school district and our industry partners and then that um, badge if you will sits on an electronic um, platform so that industry companies can rely on that when they're looking to hire um, in this case it would be high school interns right and then you know goes all the way up to the PhD postdoc level a lot of times you find that um, students are really being trained for jobs in academia because mm -hmm. the folks that are training them that's what they're doing and that's what they know right so right. we have some programs to help them get exposed to the opportunities in industry um, and not and so and then at the at the earlier level in the K through 12 space uh, we work we have a program of our own we produce the San Diego Festival of Science and Engineering every year okay. so that's a nine-day event that happens in in March every year really okay would love to share more about that sure you know through our network I just think internships for our young people are so critical you can only learn so much sitting in a classroom or looking in a book until you actually get out there, you're on the court, you're dealing with questions, you're having a leader engage you in this project or this task, it's, it's difficult to acquire those skills. It's so true. And, um, and sometimes, you know, it seems a little bit overwhelming, right? When you think about the number of students out there and the number of potential internships, you really can't um, accommodate everyone. And so, we do what we can with internships, but we also try to find creative ways to, to get uh, what we would call work-based learning experiences yeah. for these students, whether it's tours of member companies or getting some of the employees out to the classroom to share their career experiences and their pathway and trajectory. Um, we're, working, we're working on that as well. I love that. I mean, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I remember, I mean, being a kid who went to high school in the 90s, you kind of met with the guidance counselor a couple of times, and it's like, Here's a two-inch thick book with jobs. Which which ones sound good to you? And okay, based upon how you feel and your mood and your selection there, here's going to be the next book that's going to have a list of colleges you should probably go to. Yeah, you know, you're scary. a teenager, and it's like, how do you actually make an informed, equipped decision at that point? You really don't. So anything you can do to engage the young people, whether it's bringing leaders from business to the schools, to the campuses, wonderful. And, you know, internships, obviously, that's a home run. Right. And this industry is, you know, it's it's big in San Diego. Yeah. And in spite of that, a lot of people still don't know about it. And, you know, there's certain pockets of the city or the, or the county where um, it's more well-known than others, right? If sure. your parents are in the industry or you're living in a certain neighborhood, you know, you're, you're growing up around it. But then the other areas of the county where that's not so much. So... Um, that awareness. So let's 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 talk to the parents out there. Or, you know, our audience that are that are parents. You know, you have a kid that maybe elementary school, junior high, and they're expressing interest in, in science and starting to communicate a little bit. What kind of advice and recommendations would you give that parent to give their kid more exposure and you know into the life sciences industry? 
Yeah, so um, at that age, I think STEM is really important, right? And so there's a STEM ecosystem here. And, and what is STEM for our lay people? STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Great. And so um, San Diego has a great STEM ecosystem, and it's a very collaborative spirit here in San Diego. A lot of the folks that are, are doing programming in STEM um, all share best practices, work together on programming. And if you just Google um, San Diego STEM ecosystem, you can find out a wealth of information of different programs and activities that can get your kids engaged in. Um, and then obviously come out in March. So what we're doing with the festival, um, it's a nine day countywide event. It, we kick it off at Expo Day at Petco Park. It's free to the public. We get about 25,000 people to come out for that one day experience. Um, we have companies like Illumina out there teaching genomics to kids uh, um, in a way that's fun. They, they used emojis to create, mut or they created mutations in emojis to um, help them understand genomics. Um, genomics, so I'm not that smart. What oh. is genomics? <laughs> G give, it, give it to us at can, a bite-sized level. Can we just like nix that question and take that one off? <laughs> I'm, af can. I'm afraid to sound... Uh, not not intelligent enough. Can I come back and do we, that one? We can come back to <laughs> genomics. We'll come back. I, Chase probably knows the answer, but we'll circle back to that one. All right. That sounds good. Um, in addition, you know, at the, at the festival, we've got robotics. We have robotics. We have lizards. We have... Wizards? Um, lizards. Lizards. Because okay. like that's, that's STEM too, right? Okay. That, that's a natural environment. Um we, you can extract your own DNA for the younger kids. It's all about playing with slime. So we've got something for everyone out there. Things have really come a long way since dissecting frogs in high school. These kids got a lot going on. I, I, I love it. And I think the, the more hands-on that you can do and be, the better. So this the, the festival, tell us a little bit more about the festival. It happens in March. Happens in March. First Saturday in March every year is the kickoff, and that's what's at Expo Day. And then the, the rest of the week through that following Sunday, we have events all over the county. Some of them we're producing ourselves. Some of them are um, partner events. And we really try to make sure that there's something going on um, all throughout the week all over the county. One of the, one of the events that we do, we do four of them, is we produce these mini festivals. And so we take them to a variety of different neighborhoods. We've been in City Heights, Barrio Logan, Chula Vista, Vista, Lakeside. Um, just to name a few of the communities over the years. Fantastic. And is there, will there be information on the Biocom Institute's website or how do we direct people to that? Sure. So you can go to um, biocominstitute.org and find out okay. about all the stuff that we're doing. But then um, related to the festival specifically, there's a website lovestemsd.org as well lovestemsd.org all right folks you don't want to put that in your phone check it out as well as biocom institute and was biocominstitute.com or dot org dot org biocominstitute.org great okay let's talk a little bit more about workforce right specifically veterans transitioning right one in three san diegans is either a veteran or directly related to a veteran so large population here are san diegans and i know that you know biocom life sciences industry doing a lot to employ our veterans. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. We have an initiative um, right now where we're helping those transitioning veterans understand what all the opportunities are here locally in the life science industry. 
Um, we have an event coming up soon that, that is sort of our flagship informational event that I'll tell you about. But, you know, um, these veterans, the one in three that um, individuals that you're talking about, they want to stay in San Diego yeah. and they want to be able to earn a wage that, that can afford them to live here, right? Sure. So the average annual wage, um, Biocom produces a, an economic impact report regularly and the 2016 annual average wage was $117,000. Wow. So very um, strong, you know, strong well-paying jobs. And there's a number of different um, sectors within the industry. So you can be in medical device, you can be in biofuels, biopharmaceutical manufacturing, um, wholesale or research and lab services. When you put those all together, there in 2016, we're employing 50,000 individuals. And if you look at the supporting jobs, there's another 133,000 out there. So very strong wow. in terms of you know number of jobs out there and our employers love to employ veterans um, we're still doing a little bit of work on the employer side as well helping them to understand you know um, if they get a resume that that is more military speak than civilian speak how do they interpret that and mm -hmm. what are the things that they can look for to you know help make sure that they're getting someone that have skills that translate but really what they like are the soft skills that the veterans come in with, the character, loyalty, you know, they show up on time, they're goal-oriented, they get the job done, they're reliable. Leadership. Right, leadership, absolutely. Um, and so then we do a lot of work on the, on the veteran side. We have a, um, like I said, on September 13th, we have our veteran career, uh, life science career transition symposium that's a, a morning event. It'll be from 8.30 to 1. And veterans will get an opportunity to hear from some folks in industry about the different careers and career paths that some other veterans that are already working in life science have taken. And they'll get a chance. Um, we'll have mock interview opportunities for some veterans. We'll have some um, a lot of HR representatives there. And it'll just be a great way to learn more about the industry. From there, those that are interested, we have a mentoring program, so we pair them up with um, folks that are already working in the industry, give them some exposure. We leverage Biocom and all the work that they do putting on um, industry-relevant events in town, and so we give our veterans access to those events, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll sort of cap that off with a career fair later this fall as well. Wonderful. Where, so if, if, you know, if I'm a veteran and I'm listening to this or, you know, uh, a friend or family member veteran, where would I send them? What, what do we need to know? Sure. So if you go again to biocominstitute.org and you click on veterans, you'll see a little bit more about our veteran program in general. And then I think it's Veteran Fall Symposium. If you click on there, you can register. Um, it's free to register. We had about 125 people last year. We can accommodate up to 200 or so. So you know, the more the merrier. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on today. We had Lisa Bozonovich, the executive director of Biocom Institute, another servant leader that is making a difference here in San Diego. I mean, the, the STEM, the life sciences industry is, is just a, a booming industry and there's a lot of opportunity for our veterans, for our young folks. And it's important that we we just learn, we get aware of what the opportunities are and how we can how we can support. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show, Lisa. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Folks, you've been listening to the Rise Up Network. I'm your host, James Carmody. This is episode 130. 
Thank you for all the love and support. Thank you for following us at sdriseup.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, get out there, support your neighbor, and rise up. Rise up.